What's it going to be today? Skyline three-way or cheese conies? Hmm, that's a tough one. I know. Give me a Skyline three-way and cheese conies. Problem solved. Feeling good. It's Skyline time. Need quality and accessible health care at a minimal cost? Get Antidote Health. We offer individual and family plans with zero co-pays for online doctor visits 24-7, pediatric visits, mental health care, and more. Some plans even have a cashback benefit, and you'll get access to top-tier providers like Cleveland Clinic. Open enrollment has started, so sign up today at antidotehealth.com slash start. Dollar co-pays and cashback not available on all services or prescription drugs. Consult your plan for more information. Josh Allen. Looking deep, going deep. To me, talking about the Bills, what else would you rather be doing? We're hoping to add a, a new dimension to the Cover One Network. Slings it deep downfield, and Right now, I just want to talk about this championship level. I've never had a championship caliber team to talk about. I want to focus more on the storylines each week. What are the big stories going on with the Bills? What are uh, thoughts, commentary? How do these things impact Buffalo? Deep drop. Deep throw. And it is pulled in for the touchdown. Allen deep to the end zone and caught for a touchdown. Play action. Welcome into a new edition of the Going Deep Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Kevin Masseri, here with Mike Bunt to talk over some Bill's depth chart assignments that we have. Also going to talk a little bit about the schedule, a little bit about what we'd like to see from the schedule, maybe recap it a little bit next week as it rolls in. Uh, We got some stadium discussion. The stadium is being started. How is that going to play out? So lots to get into with that. And maybe do we see another veteran, defensive, defensive end? Will that come to fruition? Well, we'll talk about that and more. But Mike, first and foremost, how are you today? I'm doing great, Kevin. I got to walk by the beginning stages of the stadium, the new stadium construction. So that was kind of cool. Obviously, not much going on at this moment in time. But a beautiful day in Buffalo, and it's always a great time to talk Bills football. Absolutely. I couldn't be more excited. What? It's a beautiful May. We got the stadium construction roaring. We have depth charts. So we have mini camp this week. We have a schedule coming out. So the NFL always keeps you busy. Uh, the NFL coming out is obviously big news. I think they're going to release some of the London games tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. And then Thursday, obviously the full schedule. With that comes some leaks. So anything that we hear definitely will release from our Twitter, from our podcast. Um, you know, we, I like to stay up on some of the leaks early as they start to come out. Uh, I think it's kind of a fun little chore to do, but we got to look at this roster and we have minicamp coming up. And one of our guys, James Patterson from the university of Buffalo will be present at minicamp, a guy we've talked about in previous shows. Can he carve out a linebacker role on this roster? Can he do enough to even get signed into undrafted free agency to be into training camp? So that's going to be something I'm looking out for this weekend. Got a couple XFL guys coming in to uh, that have played well in the XFL so pretty excited to see what they're able to do this weekend as we track that as well. But we got to talk about the defensive end room to start with, Mike. There's been a lot of rumblings, a lot of people saying that they've been talking to defensive ends. Some may or may not have turned us down, uh, according to some rumblings and reports that maybe we were trying to go an incentive-laden deal, which makes sense. It does sound like that would be something the Bills are trying for at this stage, especially knowing that Vaughn will be back at some point. He says week one, interesting podcast discussion with Brandon Bean uh, that that um, that Vaughn is supernatural and that he might be back and ready to go for week one. So that's some pretty encouraging stuff. Before we get into the defensive end talk, though, Mike, got to say the show is sponsored by Sons of Erie. Go check out Sons of Erie, www.instagram.com slash Sons of Erie. Brand new art dropping real soon from what I'm hearing. So you got to make sure you check out everything Sons of Erie. So we're pretty excited about that. And the bocce tournament about a month away, uh, the Ilya DePaulo's bocce tournament sponsored by Sons of Erie. Uh, We're going to be there, going to live pod, going to have some fun there. So it's going to be an amazing time. But Mike, what are you thinking about the defensive end room? Do you think it's necessary to bring in competition for Vaughn? Or what do you you take away from Brandon being the general manager stating that the player – is looking like he could be ready for week one, which we didn't hear for Trey White. 
Yeah, I, I think Brandon Bean is more optimistic in the case of Von Miller making a quicker comeback than Trey White. And it does make sense. Uh, I'm not an ACL expert. I'm not a doctor by any means. So I guess you can just disregard everything I'm about to say. But there are there were things with Von's operation where they said because he had gone through it before and they had taken care of it in the past, it will actually help uh, with his recovery this time around. So we all know Von's an, an eternal optimist. He's always going to... Uh, take the bright side of things. But I do think with Bean backing that up a little bit, there is there should be some optimism from Bills fans right now that Vaughn will not miss an extended amount of time uh, this season. Will he be ready day one? I'm not going to bet on that. But I do think you're going to see Vaughn uh, in the first half of the season at some point. Makes sense, Mike. I think also what I'm thinking about is what happens if we don't see Vaughn? Okay, let's. we're talking about if we do. And even if we do, it's probably in a limited role. Do you think the team needs to add a defensive end? Do you feel comfortable with rolling out a UDFA while he's out? Like we know how much you love UDFAs. So what are, what are, what's your, what are you thinking about? Do you go Kingsley Jonathan, Cameron Klein, who they just signed off of waivers from Indianapolis, who they just claimed? Um, are you okay rolling something like that? Or do you think that even a veteran pass rusher could be beneficial even when when Vaughn returns. So first off, I want to say, Kevin, I'm thankful we're not having an entire episode devo- devoted to UDF. Mike gave me five minutes last episode. That's all I had. <laughs> so I'm thankful we skipped that this year. But I, I do think it would help the Bills to bring someone outside into that that DN room. And if, if it was a weak group of free agents remaining, I'd be like, okay, trust some of your guys. You're okay. Uh, you can get by a few weeks with a Kingsley Jonathan um, in a backup role or so forth uh, with some of the other guys that they have. But there are some quality guys still on this market. Uh, you look at Yannick Ngakwe, you have Melvin Ingram, uh, Frank Clark, uh, Justin Houston. So there are solid players, and not every one of those guys is going to get a big deal. And at this point, the fact that they're still free agents would indicate that you probably could get one of them on a fairly decent uh, contract overall. So I do think the Bills should pursue bringing one of those in. And if you believe rumors and uh, tweets from certain individuals, there is some speculation that they may have already offered uh, one of those guys uh, a contract. I don't have anything confirmed, but there there is some speculation and rumors that the the guy – that was rumored to have turned down the bills. If you believe what ECB on Twitter was posting is Yannick Ngakwe. Now, I like I said, me and Kevin, we can't confirm that to be a fact. But if you believe the speculation, it seems it certainly is a possibility that the bills could have reached out to him. Where there's smoke, there's fire. You know, we can only go off of so much. We've heard rumblings, you know, um, some people mentioning that he, Yannick Ngakwe, being the guy that we went to and offered some type of incentive-laden deal. Kind of inconsistent uh, with that information as well as I've heard it from another secondary person who has mentioned that that could be the case. So uh, I do believe there's probably something around the Yannick Ngakwe news. Um, And generally, like, Brandon Bean keeps things close to the vest, but really where might you might hear some news is with the agent side or with the with the player side they do want to pump up their interest want to make sure everyone is hey buffalo offered me an incentive laden deal anyone else out there so that's where really to me where i do generally outside of you know you know crazy talk i generally believe most of the reports based on where they're coming who they're coming from it's not entirely crazy that brandon bean would have reached out to yannick and gakwe asking for uh, 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 a more guaranteed deal than something that would involve around six sacks, a playoff appearance, a couple of other strategies that we've seen in the Puna Ford deal, which was fairly reasonable. Um, but it did have a lot of like, does he get six sacks? There was a lot of those performance escalators in there. I and mean, I believe that, you know, the Bills don't have to count them on their cap space this year, even if they are achieved, because generally they, they try to look for not likely to be earned incentives, which don't count on the cap this year that you have to go back and pay for next year if. Uh, he does reach those incentives like the Puna Ford deal. So with Yannick and Gakwe, I really feel like the Bills are trying to get creative. I do believe that they're probably in on the defensive end veteran market. You know, they claimed one, you know, that shouldn't really matter too much, but it does show you that they're looking to revamp. 
that a little bit. Uh, they brought in DJ Dale, a, like a priority free undrafted free agent into the mix might be one of the very few looking to, to make a roster spot uh, in this as well. So uh, I don't think it's totally out of the realm of possibility that they're looking to have somebody in here um, sooner rather than later to learn this defense and to kind of go with it. So Mike, I think that it's a pretty important position to add to. The only way that I wouldn't add to it is if they're feeling better and better and better about Mon. We know they like Shaq. We know they want to see what Boogie and AJ can do. So, and obviously Gregory Rousseau. So um, to me, I, the only reason I don't go to the veteran market, if I'm really feeling pretty confident that in two week, two week three, I'm getting fairly full strength Vaughn, then maybe I would scale back and not use the remaining dollars that I have. I mean, the bills have uh, not, not too much left on the cap. You know, nothing that they can do anything with really, as Brandon Bean says, we're looking for guys that'll play for two million dollars. If you got any, let him let me know. That's his famous line. But speaking of Brandon Bean for a second, Mike, before we go into some other positions, what do you think of the interview that he had uh, where he was being you know, pretty honest? He was being honest about Tremaine Edmonds limitations. Obviously, we talked a little bit about Vaughn's recovery. But what did you take away from some of the things that Bean likes to be very honest about? So that's why come draft time, you start to kind of believe what he says, whether it may be true or not. So that's that's a really interesting thing that you can see him on Pat McAfee, that you can see him on all types of different um, different podcasts. What, what is your takeaway from what Brandon said about just 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 the topics in general? Yeah, so if we talk about what he discussed about Tremaine and the linebackers, it, I take a little. I take it all with a grain of salt because if you if you talk to Eric Turner, he'll tell you that Bean was overstating uh, Tremaine Edmonds' limitations in coverage, and that that really wasn't a true concern for the Bills. And if you just looked at the way they played him and how um, they schemed on defense, it would show that they had more than enough faith in Tremaine in coverage overall. What I think Brandon Bean more so is kind of been alluding to during his multiple press um, appearances in recent weeks is that the Bills want a little bit more interchangeability among their linebackers, that they're not necessarily going to be the traditional roles that you've always come to see. And, and there is, I think, some unknown inside the the Bills coaching staff right now at who will step up among the linebacker group. So it, it was originally odd when he said Dorian Williams was going to start out at OL at outside linebacker and special teams, like you and I said in a previous show, we thought that probably had a little bit to do with expectations, trying to lower them at the beginning for Dorian Williams. Yeah. But then when he has the comments about Tremaine uh, sometimes not being able to step up against quicker, um, shiftier uh, receivers and, and backs, I, I thought that was kind of out of left field. Uh, quite frankly, and I, I think it does allude that the Bills are going to change some things up defensively. Uh, we've been talking about how Taylor Rapp is part of the equation now going forward, some of that they can play in the box that uh, can essentially uh, be close to the line of scrimmage and provide some of what you would expect uh, in, from that element at times. So there's a lot from what Bean has said, and I think at times he is a straight shooter, but I do think he uses that to his advantage to sometimes say things and misdirect fans and other people in another direction. So uh, there's a lot you could take out of it. Um, but most of what like, I have thought about the Bills remains, regardless of what uh, he has said in recent weeks. Yeah, I think what's interesting, too, is, you know, I, I thought the backtrack was necessarily in the OLB talk for Williams because it just – didn't make sense. Like, you know, you kind of already gave us that answer with Bernard being the backup to, to, uh, to Milano. No one really believes you that you just drafted a backup to the backup or a comp competitor of the backup role of a room that you need a starter at in the middle. Um, I think what's interesting was that right in front of them. So similarly to what the bills did to the Cowboys in the first round, going up to make sure they selected Kincaid. Uh, they thought that Dallas and maybe others, but at that time, Dallas was the main competitor for the player. Uh, in the third round that they took over shown a guy that is, is interesting to me that maybe was he more of the natural physical selection they were looking to develop and groom into at the middle linebacker spot and then defaulted. But to me, I think that Brandon Bean always defaults to the next available player at the board, not necessarily what player is next at the linebacker room, rather what's the best player available on my board, kind of like they do at most rounds. 
like getting Kincaid, like Broker later on in the draft. So you're saying them. you do not buy the whole – there's a, a run on linebackers. I don't. And, not and with Dean. I, I, and I don't buy that either. I think that that reasoning is flawed. I don't see Brandon Bean being a person who has a player on his board taken one spot before him and then decides, oh, I have to take a linebacker because – The next one, right. The next one because I wanted to take this guy. And just adding on, on top of that too um, – yeah, just lost my train of thought, Kev, so keep it going. <laughs> so I think when it comes to the linebacker room, though, to continue that discussion is Dorian Williams, to me, I think they're going to give every opportunity to start. I really have had that belief. I've kind of watched some film on him a little bit more now. Pre-draft, we were talking about him in a way that he could develop into a mic. Will he be ready day one? Probably not, but you would rather him learn on the job and have some hiccups than maybe a veteran guy like Klein who might have a little bit of a leg up day one, but really you're looking at the high end potential of your starting middle linebacker and develop what better way to develop. It's just like when you call up a prospect in baseball and sure, could you play a more of a veteran guy starting pitcher? No, you want to get the reps to the starting pitcher who's 19 or 20 years old. Same thing in football. When you're watching a football game, you know, you want to develop and learn on the fly. You want him to learn here, not in the minor leagues, playing special teams and outside linebacker to me, giving him in the role. If it's not the right fit at the end of the year, we can reevaluate how the linebacker room looks in general. You're going to get a new middle linebacker at that stage anyways. Uh, so to me, I'd like to see what you get out of him. Your one's kind of like what you did with Spencer Brown in a way where toward the middle of his rookie year or a little bit before you plugged him in at right tackle and said, you're coming from, you know, basically the, one of the smaller schools. We need you to develop here. Um, and, you know, we're just going to give you starts. There's no better way to do that. Then it's not going to be sitting on the bench as the backup guard. It's going to be getting you right tackle spot. Uh, and, Kevin, and Kevin, you know, what's really interesting too, is since Dorian Williams has been picked, I've seen multiple national uh, media members yes. be very high on the pick. While a lot of the, the dislike for the pick has been from local people. And I'm always curious why there's a disconnect. Some people will say, well, the national media doesn't pay as a, as close attention to the bills. So they're ill informed. Um, but sometimes I think it's quite the opposite when, when it comes to a draft pick, I am of the belief that a lot of these national insiders have more insight on what the bills, <clears throat> pardon me, bills are thinking, um, inside, uh, Israel is 5,690 miles away from the U S 11 hours by plane. Hate travels faster. In a comment, in a post, in a second. Jewish hate is up 388% in the U.S. Black hate, Muslim hate, and Asian hate are up too. When one hate rises, they all do. Let's stand up to all hate together. Share and wear the blue square from standuptojewishhate.org. The the front office, then what a lot of the local reporters are. So when I'm hearing uh, Louis, Louis Riddick um, immediately say oh, this guy is a dynamite. Like he's gonna he's gonna be a force with Matt Milano. When I'm seeing um, there was another guy with uh, ESPN. I'm losing his his name at Jeremy Fowler telling me saying that Dorian Williams is going to have an impact at middle linebacker with the Bills. They are not just throwing that out into uh, the universe without having been told stuff from Bills sources. So. That leads me to think there is a lot of thought inside the Bills room that Dorian Williams is going to be someone that is going to make an impact. And I know that I just saw a comment here talking about uh, the Bills based defense being a nickel and Dorian Williams, what's his fit? I don't know if we can really even say what the Bills defense 100% is going to be like this upcoming season. It's clear there's adjustments that are going to be made. You do not bring in a starting safety who is known for being productive towards the line of the scrimmage um, just to be a backup. A Taylor Rapp, a former second-round pick, isn't coming to be a backup. Then you change what you're doing at linebacker. I, With McDermott calling plays, I would not be surprised if there are some uh, decent adjustments, not only to personnel, but also – some of what they're running overall on defense. And obviously they're going to keep it close to the chest with what, with what they reveal uh, before the season. But if you talk to some people that are close to the team, or at least have some contacts with the team, it does seem like some of the changes are already in motion. Yeah. So I think what's interesting is, 
so the comment about the three, three, five defense. So you'd rather have, okay. So the discussion there is McDermott going to have another linebacker perceivably, you know, conceivably at whether it's Williams, are you going to start Bernard in there now um, to take a defensive tackle off the field? Um, which is interesting. Like, you know, I guess you could go a multitude of ways or defensive end off the field, depending on how you want to arrange that three, three, five. Are you going to run it a little bit more bigger guys to take up some gaps? Are you going to run it with speed and edge guys to kind of rush the passer with a nose tackle in the middle, like a Puna Ford, uh, Daquan Jones, what are you going to run it? But to me, you're taking a defensive lineman off the field, which I think now, especially maybe if you get another edge here, uh, we'll just use Yannick and Gakwe for now. If you get a guy like Yannick and Gakwe, you know, added to the room. Now your defensive end, your defensive tackle groups are pretty good. Like they're probably some of the strengths of the defense. Um, and you're, you're using that to step up in, into an outside linebacker role that we were still unsure how that's going to look. I'd probably prefer to usually have four linemen on the field. I mean, you could stand up Vaughn, move him to an outside linebacker, but it's essentially the same thing. He's going to be utilized the same way you could, you know, you could do a lot of different things, but I think rather than have like Dorian Williams and Terrell Bernard, I guess you could bring rap in the box as, as, as a big, uh, safety, big dime, uh, small linebacker. If you want to look at it that way, you could go that route with it. But from what I've been told inside the the team, uh, for people I trust that that Taylor Rapp has been an everyday starter. So what that means still needs to be seen. Hopefully, we get some footage on how this looks soon. But to me, it's almost like they're trying three safeties out, and they weren't really overly concerned with the line. They weren't. They weren't overly concerned at the linebacker room. And if Dorian Williams could be a speed matchup. And Brandon Bean says this, and he's saying it more and more now with Dorian Williams. It's just because he's small compared to Terrell, or Terrell or Tremaine Edmonds doesn't mean that he's small in general. He is the average size of a linebacker. He's not huge. He's not a physical specimen like like Edmonds was. But he's average to some of the all pros in the league. Uh, height, weight, wingspan, some of the testing measurables, which seems to be the thing we always talk about. Always talk about it at receiver for some reason. And the league might be going faster and speedier. What does that mean? You need to have a guy that can match up with wingspan and be able to cover uh, running backs out of the backfield too. And for whatever reason, Brandon Bean made sure to bring that up to let you know that he felt like potentially with rap, maybe with Dorian Williams, maybe with Terrell Bernard, the room that they have now can match up better with running backs in their room last year. And Kevin, I think this is pretty simple when you, when you think about it. as the Bills have been very good with identifying where NFL trends are going and finding ways to uh, adjust to those and have answers to where the league is going overall. Obviously, the last however many years, it's been a pass-first league. So that's why the Bills have been a primarily nickel defense during that time. They'll be like, you want to run four and a half yards per carry? Fine. Go on your 15-play drives. Try to do that consistently over – a 60-minute contest and outscore us with Josh Allen, where we can score in three plays and go down the field. So I, I remember when the Bills were run on against Green Bay in mm-hmm. the Jets last year, people were starting to, to worry, like, oh, my God, where is this coming from? It never mattered. It, obviously, Cincinnati is a different story because of Burrow and uh, moving forward. But the Bills have always been a team that that knows how to adjust to what's going on. Well, they go into the playoffs, two consecutive years, consecutive years. They can't stop Mahomes. They can't stop Joe Burrow. They realize we need to make changes to what we do in our defense. We are too predictable. Now, the predictability is fine against 80% of the league because most teams aren't going to be able to exploit you over the course of 60 minutes. The problem is the Kansas Cities of the world, the Cincinnati Bengals of the world, they are good enough to consistently exploit you for an entire contest. And the Bills identified those weaknesses, and they're trying to improve in those areas. I think that's a big reason why Taylor Rapp was brought into the equation. And I do want to address the one comment that Ned made. Um, do we really think the national media has more insight than local media? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, wouldn't it make more sense that the Bills would want to mislead the national media? This is what I'll say as someone that worked as a sports anchor for three years and a reporter for another two years, there is no doubt in my mind that the well-informed members in the national media, I'm not saying everyone in the national media, because I think for the most part, a lot of the people in national media are are awful at their jobs and just do things for clickbait. But the well-informed people of the national media 
the the Greg Cosells, the Adam Schefters, the Ian Rappaports, they definitely have a hundred times more insight than any of the local Bills reporters. And I don't mean that as an insult because obviously I never made it to the Buffalo sports media uh, beyond cover one. You do not see local reporters on the Buffalo level break anything of substance. You never do. None of the beat reporters break stuff. In other NFL cities across the country, local beat reporters are breaking stuff all the time. They do not break stuff in Buffalo. Um, I, I know Tim Graham is one of them that actually does from time to time. But outside of Tim Graham, John Warro, who fans don't typically like too much for their own reasons, I, I personally think they're both good at what they do. You don't see local beat really creating content of substance outside of the Joe B's and maybe Matthew Fairborn when he was with uh, the beat with athletic and the Mark Gons. So yes, I, I do think the, the national beat has a little bit better idea because those were the guys, a lot of them that when the bills picked Dalton Kincaid were instantly saying, this guy is going to be a weapon. This guy is going to be a slot receiver, much like Eric, Greg, Kevin, and me, when the bills are after Dalton Kincaid, and we were instantly on the the whole, he's your new slot receiver uh, train. Daniel Jeremiah said that from the moment the Bills selected him. It took a local radio station in Buffalo that has the Bills games on every Sunday, two weeks, to realize he's more than just your typical tight end. So, yeah. so to answer your question, Ned, yes, I, I don't think this is misleading. I do think Bean has people in the national media that he trusts and that he will give them stuff at times. And I don't believe there is many people in the local media that, that do have all that information. I'm not saying the local media doesn't have information, but there's certain people like Sal that can't even post the information when he has it because of his relationship with the bills and he will give him stuff, but he can't even tweet half of it because it's private team information. And it'd be a conflict of interest with his responsibilities. So that's just the fact of the matter. I definitely think that there's some toughness to when it comes to the local media. Uh, I think the national media can say things more without the ramifications of worrying about their credentials, without ramifications of what they're saying. So a lot of the times they're saying exactly what they've been told through agents, through their, they want to look smart. Their whole job is not just to cover the Buffalo Bills, Green Bay Packers. Their job is to make sure that they're informed on when someone's selected, where they might fit into that team. And a lot of times they have tidbits and updates and notes from the combine or other places. So to me, that's more likely to be true than guessing what you're going to consider Dalton Kincaid. Like I've heard too much talk about him. Like people just can't get over the fact that Dawson Knox got paid or that he's a second tight end or that Ken Dorsey doesn't know how to use tight ends or whatever one of the rhetorics that they're struggling with right now. But to me, it's a matter of, well, who he's not going to be a YA tight end. He's not going to be your traditional inline tight end. He's going to literally be a version of Mike Gasecki who can make, you know, and be a little bit better at it, who can contribute to the offense day one. I'm in a good passing. I mean, Mike Gasecki is always, you know, maybe until this year did not really have much of a passing offense to, to consider. Um, and that's, you know, the Bills will be involved in a heavily passing offense with a real threat, big target hands guy. Uh, that can play everywhere around the field. So that's what you're looking to do, get him in mismatches. Teams don't know if they're going to be in you know, defense to cover 12 personnel. They're going to cover 11. Brandon Bean calls it 11 and a half personnel. So I think that that's what's very interesting about Kincaid. And Dorian Williams, too. If you have rap on the field, you might see Dorian in the game. You know, you might even see Terrell Bernard at times. Like, you don't quite know what defense the Bills are going to throw at you. So to the point before, maybe they have only three down linemen recognizable in the huddle. Um, so that when you come to the line of scrimmage, you don't really know exactly what the Bills are going to do with that specific pressure front, with that specific coverage. Are they going to drop more into zone to protect uh, Dorian Williams? What exactly are they going to do? Are they going to come at you to kind of make you make a decision? Those kind of flexibilities are things that the Bills straight up defense last year at times was really good. It was. It, you know, DVOA points to it. Lots of metrics point to the Bills defense being good at large stretches, period. However, some of the limitations can be exploited by, like you mentioned, some of the best quarterbacks in the league that know exactly what the Bills defense likes to do and kind of relies on you to either make a mistake or um, that they come up and rally and tackle and can get you off the field. While good quarterbacks in, in time, basically the top five, can get, get, a, get around that. Um, and 
what you're not going to know this year, if you're Mahomes and if you're Joe Burrow or others, is you're not going to know exactly what kind of coverage and scheme that the Bills are going to be running at any time. And that's what makes it interesting. Will McDermott cause more pressure? Is he going to drop in the zone? Is he going to have three safeties? What exactly is he going to be doing on a down-to-down basis? And that's going to create a common problem for offenses to really get going. Similarly to offense now with when Kincaid comes on the field, you know, for whatever amount percentage of snaps that he will receive, 50, 75 you know, somewhere in the middle of those, you know, we could kind of debate it, you know, you're not going to know exactly how to cover that. So I think that that's really where things get interesting that the bills don't want to let you know what they're going to be doing at all times. And that linebacker room has got a lot of talent to it. We just got to see how it pieces together. They have a couple of high-ish draft picks there. Now they got a couple of veterans there. Now will an undrafted guy make the team or not, you know, that there's, there's questions across the board there, but there is some talent enough to where Brandon Bean, not, not at defensive end where we have some top end talent, at linebacker where he said, no, we're not adding anybody there. So that's, what's interesting to me is that he feels like there's enough talent in this room to get it done. They had to go outside of DT. They have to go outside of D end, but at the linebacker room specifically, they feel like they have the pieces that it takes to run this front seven, the way they want to run it, especially with, with rap in it. Now who can add another piece to the puzzle? Yeah. And, and that's why I said the decisions at middle linebacker and right tackle have been the two most fascinating things that the bills have done through this entire offseason, how they've proceeded with that. My my big gathering from what you essentially just said is that the Bills want to be less predictable. They want to bring more options to the table for both offenses and defenses that they're facing so they can't just attack them in certain ways. The Bills' offense was great last year. They were number two in the league. Uh, they were scoring points at a higher rate, more near the top of the league in yards per game. And yet there was times when it just seemed out of sync. There was times when they weren't u- utilizing the middle of the field, where they did struggle to run the ball at times. They want to have answers to whatever teams are throwing at them. Right. Kincaid was to help get them more involved in the middle of the field in the passing game again. Latavius Murray, Damian Harris are to add – another dimension in the run game, a more physical run game going forward, adding an Osiris Torrance who has that size. Um, and then you look at defensively, the the unpredictability of what they're going to do when Taylor Rapp is in the game. Who's the one that they're sending, like you said? Having linebackers that have range, that have the ability to cover. Uh, how is it all going to work? Who knows? But that is part of the exciting part about it. They are going away from what they they were last year. They they're gonna still have the strengths that they had in last year's team in the years year before's team, but now they're bringing some new things to the table. And the reason why I said left tackle, right tackle, pardon me, and middle linebacker were so interesting to me with how Bean has handled them this this offseason is mm-hmm. many people would have said the same thing about right tackle that you just said about middle linebacker, Kevin. Israel is 5,690 miles away from the U.S., 11 hours by plane. Hate travels faster, in a comment, in a post, in a second. Jewish hate is up 388% in the U.S. Black hate, Muslim hate, and Asian hate are up too. When one hate rises, they all do. Let's stand up to all hate together. Share and wear the blue square from StandUpToJewishHate.org. It's the Smuckers Uncrustables podcast with your host, Uncrustables. Okay, today's guest is rough around the edges. Please welcome Crust. Thanks for having me. Today's topic, he's round with soft pillowy bread. Hey. Filled with delicious PB&J. Are you talking about yourself? And you can take him anywhere. Why'd you invite And we are out of time. Are you really cutting me off? Uncrustables are the best part of the sandwich. Sorry, Crust. After not addressing it in the first or second round in the draft, people would have been like, well, is Spencer Brown really safe at right tackle? Are they going to draft someone in the first round? Are they going to bring someone in the second round? Will there be a free agent addition? And you and I have been pretty consistent on this show that we didn't believe the Bills were going to draft a right tackle in the first round. Part of it being we didn't think that Darnell Wright or – any Broderick Jones or any of the big guys were going to fall to 27. We said maybe day two someone might be there. 
but as competition to push Brown, not to ever take over his starting spot. And I know that it was an area, Kev, that you and I had disagreements with the rest of the cover one team. A lot of the rest of the guys on cover one felt very strongly that right tackle was going to be a priority and that it was something the Bills were going to be addressed. I can tell you this from talking to a few Bills players over the weekend, they think that Spencer Brown is going to take a step up next year. They believe the back injury he was dealing with, the not being able to take part in training camp last year, played a big factor in his performance. Now, take that for what it's worth. But Bean's actions by not bringing in competition for right tackle back that up. And you look at it. Spencer Brown struggled as a rookie, but he was a a right tackle with a highly athletic profile coming from a small school in Northern Iowa. I believe he didn't play the year before because of the COVID year. Struggled as a rookie. You'd expect it. We wanted the leap last year. It didn't happen. But if it's true that this back injury, from what I've been told from, like I said, a few players, had that type of impact on his play, it does have some justification for why he struggled. And now it's to the point where Brown has to take a step up. You need It's a prove-it year or you lose the job. But Bean's actions show they have faith. And the one player told me it's Spencer Brown is back to himself, that he can go out there and do all the stuff he's used to doing. So uh, I think it's a big prove-it year, but I'm expecting a, a, a solid jump for, from him this season. As am I. Like, I've been on the train and had to, had fight many battles that I didn't believe. And it wasn't just necessarily my belief on how well I think Spencer Brown's going to be. There was times last year I was as frustrated or more frustrated than anyone. But just from what I've hearing, hearing what I've been able to kind of put together, I just didn't think there was any way they replaced him. And that came to fruition, that he did not get replaced. The only thing that they did do was actually replace Bates, who was probably like the second or third best lineman on the team last year, uh, which is which is interesting that I think the biggest knock on Osiris Torrance is that really he's a right guard. If that's a knock, I mean, that's is the knock is that he's going to play one position most likely on this defense or on this offense. That's what he's going to play. What does that mean that that knocks Bates into a reserve role reserve at maybe four spots, maybe five uh, can quite frankly, almost play all of the spots. So it does help you to have a $4 million versatile lineman. We kind of talked about this a week or two ago, where does that put a trading potential on the, on the fold for somebody there? I think it does. I think that that's the line of all positions that going forward that the Bills seem to be able to get draft picks from Cody Ford, and others it's at the offensive line position so that's funny that i believe that they're going to be able to do the same thing this year with someone like they're going to like to keep nick broker a guy on a seventh round pick deal who a lot looks a lot like ryan bates who can play a lot of different roles who played at Ole miss who played a lot of big time college football he's going to be a guy they're going to see if they can work onto the roster rather than a guy like luke tenuta coming from a smaller school maybe had some more um of the size but really the, the athletic ability wasn't there the pick didn't make a whole lot of sense and then they didn't make the team so brandon bean said he put a precedent on guys that could earn a jersey and I think that they would like to see Broker or New Jersey on this team. So I think that the, the offensive line is a really interesting position. Will they trade Ike Butker? Is that possible that they go that route? Or, you know, will they move Ryan Bates or where they want to have expensive depth? Well, it's going to be a big change from last year when players like Bates, who played well, was in your starting rotation with Saffold. You know, you had to use Butker even late in the year after he re- rehabbed and came back. So the Bills O-line, especially interior-wise, obviously it tackles the same three. But on the interior-wise – it's a lot better. Like the interior offensive line obviously still has Mitch Morris, but you upgraded both guard spots. And then not only upgraded the starters, you have reasonable and fair depth behind it in case something happens. Where if something happens to McGovern, putting in Bates, is that really that big of a drop-off? I mean, not really. It won't be a huge drop-off. So that's that's what's going to be huge on this offensive line is that interior is totally redone. And then you have so many good possibilities behind it. I mean, you got, you know, Quesenberry, who can still be a reserve tackle. We have Broker that we talked about, Butker. We have Doyle. There's just so many different quality players that are going to be on this roster behind the starting unit. So really think it's a much developed team. But what didn't they do? Like we just said, Mike, they didn't address right tackle because they really think that Brown can be on a rookie deal and a high end right tackle. I really do believe that. And, you know, this is his year to prove it that of all the faith, you know, really, they even have a bunch of rookies slash 
two second year players at linebacker duking it out, but not at the right tackle position. They've given it over to Spencer Brown to take over. And there's a lot of things that they like about that. And, you know, it's probably gets an endorsement from the offensive coordinator, from Aaron Cromer, and from maybe even Josh Allen saying, you know, we really like what we have. Josh Allen always would joke and bring up about how he needed to replace guard as, as, as a joke. You know, anytime he was in an interview, he's like, can you play right guard? Or he'd reference guard. Um, and, that, and that's what he got. And, you know, never really said, you know, anything about mentioning, you know, that he wanted to tackle. So I think that that, even though that's fun, I still think some of that sub, you know, subconscious saying like, we it, think it, our yeah, tackles it, are fine. In addition to them also having faith in Spencer Brown, it's also easier to uh, admit as well, it's much harder replacing a right tackle when you don't have a bunch of cap space and the resources to get up in the top 15 in the first round of the draft than it is to replace a right guard or a left guard. Uh, It was one of those things where you look at what the Bills went into this offseason, it's clear that Brandon Mean. Uh, determined pretty early on with our lack of financial resources and cap space available to us, we need to hammer the interior of the offensive line. We need to find two deep options at left guard, right guard, and we need to impact. We need to improve our receiver room, whether that means getting a slot receiver in the traditional role or drafting a a pass catching weapon uh, like Dalton Kincaid who identifies as a a tight end uh, in the college game. So I I think it's clear those were the two main spots that on the offense of what was addressed. And while right tackle can always be addressed in the future, if it doesn't pan out this season, uh, it it definitely was a vote of confidence in Brown heading into this offseason. Yeah. I mean, I think that I was expecting that vote of confidence to come and it did. And that was one of the rooms I think on this show and us in general got right at the tackle position. I really think that we nailed that one out of the park. And, you know, if anything, we kind of were talking about the upgraded guard that was really the biggest weakness. So that, that was kind of an interesting note. They did go ahead and do one thing and we were here for it uh, live on the day three special. They did add shorter and he's going to be, he's going to be the new camp guy, Mike, he's going to play teams. He's going to be the new guy that everybody, who needs UDFAs anymore, Mike, when you have shorter, (laughs) on the roster uh, because he's going to definitely be the guy that I believe wins some hearts over. I know it. I feel it. Um, he, we're going to be asking for more, t- more snaps. It's going to be shorter and it's going to obviously Khalil Shakir and shorter. Like those are the names. I mean, people love these fifth round receivers, one at boundary run at slide and, and, and Shakir can play everywhere, but they, they view him in the NFL as a slot for the most part. Maybe he bounces outside for limited snaps outside. But you have two fifth round picks. Bills fans uh, love the backup receivers, man. They love it, the backup. It used receivers. to be all about the the backup quarterback. Now in Buffalo, because we have Josh, it's all about the backup receivers. Yeah, and fifth round picks too. So it's different than your usual UDFA guy who other teams may or may not even have wanted. You actually spent fifth round picks now. So I'm, I like the upgrade from like liking these, you know, these, you know. Riley's and these Derek Rogers and these, these undrafted free agents to now being fifth round picks does kind of bring up the skill set a little bit for me of guys that can actually have more realistically earn a Jersey and, and being set it with him too. The reason they drafted him maybe over, over Yossi Voss or some others at the AT Perry at the time was they think he can earn a Jersey and they don't have to get into an Isaiah Hodgins situation anymore, where they believe that shorter is going to be a day one, not only on the roster, on the team, but active with a Jersey playing on special teams and able to add a depth boundary piece. If something happens in game, like you saw in Miami or in other games where, you know, they need a substitution, you have a guy that can come in and play boundary regardless of what happens. And they didn't necessarily have that outside of their starters last year. So he is going to be a two fun fifth round picks that, you know, they're going to fight to try to be in the third and fourth receiver role. They really are. Whatever you want to consider Hardy, they're going to fight to be in that third and fourth receiver roles. I mean, they're going to be active on game days like Hardy. Sherfield might be as well. The Bills are going to probably bring six active receivers on game day at this stage without injury. It does seem like they all will have a role on the team and on special teams where Sherfield plays too, that they're going to be able to bring six receivers in and probably three tight ends in. And we'll see what they do at the running back room with Latavius Murray. You know, they really have plans for him. Do they plan to stash him on the practice squad? Seemingly like they could. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to go and claim him, but it's possible. So the Bills have some interesting decisions to make at the running back room too, where 
on a game to game basis. You could stash Murray, you could bring him up. You know, he had a pretty fairly productive season last year. Uh, so it's going to be a really intriguing weapons room, but you know, they didn't really do. They, they said Murray was their was their plan to not taking a draft choice at running back. So that tells me that they do have some vision for him. They're not going to make that trade off with him if they would have rather gone to a rookie. They would have just drafted a rookie. So the Bills pushed their picks into Nash next year and took uh, Latavius Murray. So they do have plans to use him in certain sub packages with his with his really he's really the guy that wins in short yard. I know we're all pointing to Damian Harris. He's really the guy Kevin, that wins in short yard. Their yardage. contracts are not far off from one another. A lot of people made the assumption that Damian Harris was going to be. Uh, a much used running back. I, I think that the bills have a plan for all three of them. And I I'm with you. Latavius Murray would be my short yardage guy on this roster. You, you look at what he just did last year. I, I know he's up there in age, but still ran for over 700 yards. And I think he had six touchdowns last season. So Murray really can get it done in those situations. And while he's not going to be a primary back in Buffalo, I, I do think you're going to end up seeing Harris and Murray both make this roster, which might have surprised some people when they first saw Murray add to this team. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting room. There's a lot of good talent on the roster. Would like to see the team. Like, I'd like to add them at an, another defensive end, as we've already talked about, and then going from there. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. Real briefly on the schedule, we're not going to talk much about it. It's not out yet. I know everyone's going to consume a lot of schedule talk on Thursday, maybe even a little tomorrow. Friday is going to be all about the schedule. You know, by the time we see you next, we're going to, you know, we'll probably talk about a few things, but we're not going to probably bury you with a lot of schedules talk. Um, you know, it's just going to be some fun things to look out for. Mike, I just wanted to ask you one question on the schedule here. How many primetime games do the Bills get and how many of them are at home? I think that's, that's, I think that's a fun way to kind of tie in the schedule. So you can get a max of six. Right. So the Bills are a hundred percent maxing out on their primetime slate, just like they did last season as well. The question would be, do you get an additional, basically, primetime game that's not considered a primetime game, like Thanksgiving or a, a Black Friday, uh, a, I guess possibly Christmas if it wasn't Chiefs Monday at 4 o'clock. So it, what's so interesting about this Bills schedule right now is not only is it very difficult next year, but they are loaded with big-name teams and talented big name teams. So you obviously have Kansas city and Cincinnati. Those are going to be two marquee matchups, regardless you put of where you put them on the schedule. I would think Kansas city will be a Monday night game since it's been the Thursday night scheduled game. It's been the Sunday night game. It's been the Sunday four o'clock game, but it never has been a scheduled Monday night game in recent memory. The time they played on Monday night was a rescheduled COVID game. Cincinnati was Monday night last year. Could that be a Sunday night? Could that be a Sunday four o'clock solo game? Uh, I think that's a possibility. I will almost guarantee one of the Bills Jets games will be a primetime game. I think Sunday night would make sense for that. Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, good friends off the field. Uh, great quarterback matchup. Uh I, I would anticipate seeing that. And then just think about some of the other teams on the schedule, Kevin. you got Philadelphia, Dallas, New York Giants. Uh, it goes on and on and on. I, you'd almost have to think Philadelphia is going to get some type of primetime coverage. Will Dallas be a possibility? Uh, I would I'd expect so. Um, it, so what I think is going to end up being a big impact with this bill schedule is with all these – marquee opponents i think it's really going to reduce the amount of one o'clock games because you're playing dallas at home if, if that's not prime time you can't put dallas buffalo at buffalo at one o'clock no. in buffalo you can't do that that's no. uh, not a possibility i think the giants game is in buffalo maybe that could be a one o'clock but i could also see that being intriguing dable returning home going up against a team that he was offensive coordinator to Allen taking on Daniel Jones, who Dable's trying to bring as his next apprentice. So there's some really, really intriguing matchups. And that doesn't even take into account that you could put Miami as a, a primetime matchup with Buffalo. Wildcard team, wildcard matchup, rematch from last year. And then New England has to get at least one or two primetime games. Who are they going to match New England up 
uh, in a primetime game. So <laughs> you you go up and down the schedule. There's 10 games that you could reasonably talk into being a primetime matchup. So it's going to be a lot of fun on Thursday. And then obviously tomorrow we're probably going to hear about the London game, uh, the rumor that being against the Raiders on October 8th. So if you just had me to guess, Kev, how many home primetime games, I'll say that they'll they'll have two home ones, four on the road. Yeah, it sounds about right. They're going to max out for sure. And then you're going to get, like you said, the London game. Are you going to get a Black Friday game? Are you going to get uh, KC on 4 o'clock, which is basically a national primetime game? You know what? How are they going to develop it? But half the Bills games will be in the spotlight. That's I think Black favorite. Friday could be a possibility. Ta- yeah. Hearing Sal Capaccio's podcast with uh, it's it's Mike North, I think, who helps out with the schedule, and they had Matt Bovey um, mm-hmm. co-hosting that show. It, it seems like Black Friday could be a possibility. It doesn't sound like Thanksgiving is really in the running uh, this year. Uh, which has kind of been incredible that the Bills have even been in the Thanksgiving game three of the last yeah, four. four years. Uh, uh, it, it's kind of felt like the Bills were starting their own Thanksgiving <laughs> tradition of their own, um, taking down NFC teams. But, yeah, it, it's going to be fun, Kevin. It, it's definitely a lot more fun than what it used to be 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when you were just hoping and praying maybe the Bills were going to get one Monday night game or a Sunday night game. I know one up road, until yeah. – what was it, 2019, when the Bills took on uh, Pittsburgh? They where they went something like 12 years without appearing on Sunday Night Football. Uh, the the previous appearance was the I think the 56 to 10. <laughs> now they're a mainstay, which is great. Yeah, against uh, the the Randy Moss and the Patriots. So uh, the good news is the Bills have finally, with talent on their team, gotten over. Um, they're losing ways in prime time and now win a bunch of these games. So it's obviously a lot more fun now than what it was during the drought. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think that being a mainstay in prime time, I know everyone likes the one o'clock games. I'm just not that guy. It reminds me of bad drought football, bad drought football goes with one o'clock to me. I know it's kind of like, you know, nostalgic and it's kind of what you like. I like being good. I like the team being good. I like primetime games. I like being in the spot. Like, I, here's what I really like, Mike, underrated. I like watching a day's worth of action or a weekend's worth of action and then being my team, then be able to focus on my team and, and cover and, and watch that and not have to worry about anything else going. I like having this primetime spots. I think it's fun. Um, so I think that they'll reach to the sixth mark, and I think that as many as eight or nine will uh, come up and be the total number of maybe national games or games that are like really focused on with that, especially with that schedule. And we're going to get into a little bit of stadium talk, but right after this message from our sponsor. Really looking forward to some of those new drops that Sons of Erie is are going to have. Make sure you check out WWE. I've seen some of them. They are pretty cool, Kevin. They, slash they Sons cool. of Erie. So uh, we're going to have a cool design. Their last design went absolute viral and fireworks was the Are You in the Mafia sign. Uh, now it's going to be a drawing, and we'll see exactly what the drop is going to be this time around. But it's going to be something pretty pretty cool um stadium talk though mike as i know that's your that's your bag baby um as the stadium's getting built you know i don't want to belabor it too much at some point maybe in a couple months we'll have some maybe a stadium edition or a stadium special or something where we talk about it for half the show or whatnot but on a brief basis the bills get the stadium it's finally done there's finally work being done how are you feeling? Like, what is your thoughts on the stadium and what it could develop into? And what, what, what would you like to see happen from the stadium that the bills are going to be playing in hopefully in 2026? Yeah, Kev, it's exciting. And now it finally feels real because you can see some construction equipment on site. It's not much right now. It's basically two, uh, two grouped areas of dirt and some construction vehicles, um, doing some work, but I, I walked by today because I had some time during my lunch and uh, took a video, posted on Twitter. Uh, if you want to find that, go to at Mike underscore Bunt. Uh, appreciate any followers, and I do follow back. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it, 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 it was cool to see Kev because as many local uh, politicians and Bills officials have mentioned, this is about to be the largest construction project in Buffalo history. 
uh, right now, $1.54 billion. And in reality, what are we going to get out of the stadium? We're going to get much improved amenities. It's going to be a much more comfortable experience for Bills fans. Um, it's going to be state-of-the-art. Is it going to be a palace like some of these big cities like L.A., Minneapolis, Atlanta, uh, Dallas? No, it's not going to be a palace like that. Uh, are we going to have a Patriots place? Are we going to have uh, a Hall of Fame like the Packers? Probably not. But it's going to be a huge improvement over what the Bills currently have. Uh, I, I know a lot of the details have already been out in the public, open air. There's going to be covering um, down to 62,000 seats. But the, the, a couple of the, the main details I want people to know, when you're talking about going down 8,000 seats, but in, improving the square footage, uh, of the stadium by 450,000 square feet, you're talking about way more comfort. You're going to have open concourses. No longer you're going to have to wait in line for 30 minutes for concessions and to go to a bathroom while missing part of the game. It's going to be built from the outside in, meaning the concessions are going to be on the outside of the aisles, and you'll be able to watch the game while still at the concessions. So it's going to be nice, Kev. I'm looking forward to it. I think they did the most affordable option that they could realistically pass in a short amount of time without having a drastic impact on tickets. I know there are going to be fans that are priced out and that's an unfortunate part of this, but uh, that's just kind of how it goes. And the last thing I'll say, Kev, I was talking about this on our spaces last night. Can the bills please give us like some type of museum an improved team store in a restaurant? I don't need like a shopping mall or some, beautiful development or hotels or casino or top golf just give me a damn museum restaurant an improved team store and i'm saying this because you guys can't see him but aj is loving this right now um and kev just give me your thoughts i just don't ever think i'd go to the museum personally um but I do see what could be cool about a museum, I guess. Um, I think I agree with the development around the stadium being pretty pop important. We'll see what they're able to do. Someone brings up, you know, what will they do with the old stadium? It's probably going to be, you know, they're going to get rid of some of the, the seats and stuff to sell, but, you know, some memorabilia, but it's going to be a parking lot um, that they'll de desperately need. Uh, but I think that ECC, someone brings up ECC being a Bill's place in the field. I think it's possible. There is that space we're forgetting about because right now it's ECC South. I do believe that there's some ability that they could do something with that area. Uh, and I'm not going to count it out. I think the Pagulas would really like someone to step up and help out in, the, in, in all of this. Um, I know that they're the owners, but they've done a lot for the city where their, their hockey franchises, as well as, you know, what they're doing in Orchard Park. So it'd be really nice for other businesses to potentially follow suit. So we're going to see what happens with all this over the next few years. I like it to be an event. I don't want it to be the same thing, but ultimately look, the bills get a stadium, they get it done. They're going to be paying it back over time and rent to the state to pay back the cost of the initial investment. So it's going to be at least uh, a really nice place that you can potentially, there's been talks about uh, major league soccer, if not definitely CONCACAF soccer, which is U S men's national team, U S women's national team games playing uh, other you know, Mexico's and Canada's a Canada game could make sense there. So there's definitely going to be a dual purpose there of it on top of the same type of music. Does this become a, a soccer podcast if Buffalo ever gets an MLS team? I mean, I would gladly talk about it. Like if it was announced that they relocated a team here, that would be pretty cool uh, just to get a third franchise into the city. I, I don't, I don't think that that's terrible. Um, so would love to talk about that and love international soccer. I think it's some of my best favorite soccer. So, but I think that those are the kind of events that they'll receive um, potentially over the next three to four years post stadium. So it's going to be interesting. They're going to keep uh Highmark stadium up in case they need to use it in 2026, which is kind of an interesting nugget if they need to, to do anything with the stadium while it's being built. But uh, Mike, it has been a great show. Started off talking about the depth chart a little bit. You know, what is the number one thing that you want to see the Buffalo Bills come out with in May? Is it health? I know you're going to tell me healthy, but I'm not going to allow. I'm not going to allow health. I don't know why you're asking that question. I'm going to give that to you in August. You don't properly. get to take it in May. You don't get to take it in May. They're going to stay healthy. So 
I, I was going to say healthy, Kev. So now I'm at a loss no, of words. No, no. Uh, the, the biggest thing to come out of May is just keep progressing. Help, just keep moving in the right direction. Get out of it healthy, Kevin. I'm going to take that answer, even though you're not allowing me to, because no. it's about getting to July. Training camp is when it gets real. Training camp is when things uh, go to the next level, get stepped up a, a notch. So at, at this point, I, I know you don't want me to say it. Get healthy, stay healthy, and uh, okay. just keep uh, progressing with rehabs with guys that are hurt. Uh, hope that there's no setbacks for Vaughn uh, or Tommy or any of the guys that are uh, rehabbing stuff from last year. And the chat room does not want any soccer talk, Mike. And that's your I was fault. just I was joking, guys. And and obviously the biggest thing for the stadium, if we're being real, it's not the stadium. It's not the ticket prices. It's the bills are going to be in Buffalo for the next 30 years. That's the most important thing. So um, that's the 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 best takeaway that we can all have from that. could we got more could we have you know tried to get more out of it sure there's probably a world that that could have existed but ultimately what is the number one thing that everyone probably listening to this podcast any podcast besides smashing the like button that is if you wouldn't mind smashing the like button um the number one thing that people were after is they get 30 plus years more of this team pretty much entrenching their future for our ourselves and our friends and our kids that that is now locked in uh, for the foreseeable future. And that's ultimately all we wanted when there were, there was teetering moments in the last 15 years, especially previous to, to, uh, to the Pagulas that things could have gone a different way. But I'd like to see what this creative, my, my answer, I'd like to see what this creative defense can do. What is it? What does it mean that Sean McDermott's taking over? Is it going to be more aggressive? Is it going to, are we going to see three down linemen, three linebackers? Are we going to see Taylor Rapp in the box? What exactly is going to take place? And I'd like to see some of that come out of May and June. I really would like to see some of that come into place previous to their break and then coming back in for training camp, which we'll be at. I'd love to do uh, some type of show from training camp this year. Not exactly sure on the dates of that, but Majority of us always usually get together for training camp, and this year is going to be super fun. It's not too far from me, so I'm looking forward to maybe doing some live coverage there, meeting up with some of you guys. So uh, tune into our August shows, which I'm pretty looking forward to. But right now, I'd like to see them carry in some of this defensive creativity. And as as Donna says, she wants creativity and play calling. Um, so I agree with that on the defensive side is where I'm referring to. But offensively as well, it does make sense now that you can be more multiple with a Kincaid in the game now as compared to, you know, not having a slot at all. So I'm looking forward to it. I know it's May schedules coming out, everybody. So we're all going to have something to talk about. We're all going to be able to kind of dive into the tickets and what's going to happen. So that's going to be super fun. Stadiums being built, got a rookie mini camp. So there's still for being a downtime, there's still a little bit to talk about, but before, before we really get going in late July, uh, so really only two months, two and a half months away from really getting going into the summer, barbecues, bonfires, pools, whatever it is you like to do mixed with some Bills football, just two and a half months away. So that's going to be a great time and love, love, love training camp. Producer AJ down there is always doing his thing, looking forward to kind of his last show or two with us as of right now. So congratulations to him on his graduation and his um in his future Public endeavors go fund me so we can keep aj as producer aj yeah that would yeah that would be the best news ever producer mike i still think i'm rooting for producer mike john osborne wants puna as the red zone quarterback all right i, I, I mean at first i thought that was a joke but then i'm thinking like i think that could be a thing where you just kind of snap it to him and see what happens bowling ball just just runs over that's already the bowling have that. ball formation they already have that in their starting quarterback um, can pretty much do the same things Puna Ford can do uh, in the red zone, which is what makes the bill such a dying all seriousness or all joking aside. That's what makes the bill so much fun. So thanks everybody for tuning in to an hour of with us, with Mike and I didn't get into any debates today, but we'll have plenty of time for that on future episodes. As always, this is brought to you by sons of Erie, www.instagram.com slash sons of Erie. I'm Kevin. That's Mike. We look forward to seeing you guys with the whole schedule and other topics next week. We won't be labeled the, the, the schedule next week. I promise. So make sure you tune in seven o'clock right here to all of our cover one sports network shows. Kevin and Mike will catch you here next week, seven o'clock. Josh Allen looking deep, going deep. To me talking about the bills, what else would you rather be doing? 
We're hoping to add a, a new dimension to the Cover One Network. Right now, I just want to talk about this championship level. I've never had a championship caliber team to talk about. I want to focus more on the storylines each week. What are the big stories going on with the Bills? What are uh, thoughts, commentary? How do these things impact Buffalo? Deep drop. Deep throw. And it is hauled in for the touchdown. Allen deep to the end zone and caught for a touchdown. Play action. Israel is 5,690 miles away from the U.S., 11 hours by plane. Hate travels faster, in a comment, in a post, in a second. Jewish hate is up 388% in the U.S. Black hate, Muslim hate, and Asian hate are up too. When one hate rises, they all do. Let's stand up to all hate together. Share and wear the blue square from StandUpToJewishHate.org. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.